This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Be Lifted Up. Be Lifted Up. With the Successpert, award-winning financial educator, wealth expert, speaker, and author, Alfred Edmund Jr. And your co-host, life coach and author, D. Marshall. It's Be Lifted Up. Be Lifted Up. Welcome to Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. I am your co-host, D.C. Marshall, and he is... Alfred Edmund Jr. And on this show, we are talking about structural inequality. What makes a system inherently unequal? And this is going to be an interesting topic today, Alfred. Yeah, um, because it also gets to an underlying question, which we, we, we haven't um, often addressed directly. But when you're a, um, a, a victim of inequality, often people whose faith is being challenged is saying, why would God even allow this? Why, you know, what, is, what does my faith say about the fact that I am in an unequal system, especially if you're a woman, especially if you're a black or a black woman or disabled? or in any of those categories where uh, the system does not necessarily treat you fairly. So I think this is a really great conversation. And so stay right there. We will be right back. It's Be Lifted Up. I'm DC Marshall. And I'm Alfred Edwin Jr. Join us and have a conversation on how do you live an abundant life. It's Be Lifted Up every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time right here on HUR Voices, Sirius XM Channel 141. We're back. It's Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. I am your co-host, D.C. Marshall, and he is... Alfred Edmund Jr. And we're here today talking about inequality, systemic structural inequality, what makes a system unequal, and what does that mean for people of faith? The, I mean, what do you think? You're a, a black woman, and that's just two metrics by which you are quote unquote born into yep. a system that is not necessarily designed for your ambition, for your success, even for your comfort and safety. What, is, what does that mean for you? And I, I have certain opinions about what that means for me as a black male, but what does that mean for you as a person of faith? Yeah, I mean, we call it intersectionality in the space that I am in. So I know, you know, by day, um, I work for a company, Diverse and Engage, and we speak three languages, leadership development, workplace culture, and uh, diversity and inclusion. And so this is our work. But I want to just um, step back and frame this because I think it's, it's appropriate for us to have this conversation. In this season and right now in 2020, we are amid a global reckoning of racism against Black people in the United States. It's global because people around the planet joined the United States in protesting. So let's just level set. Um, the linchpin, so to speak, was the death of God rest his soul, Mr. George Floyd, who lost his life on May 25th. In fact, he was killed by police officers, as well as Ahmaud Arbery, as well as Breonna Taylor. And so the backdrop for this show is to really talk about what has become a hot topic and an emerging trend now for the, the country. I mean, this has been our life as, as long as we were, we've been here on the planet for Black people. And so, Alfred, I just think it's, it's necessary that we frame it in that regard. And so let me, let me start by saying this. Um, by May 27th, a few days after Ahmaud Arbery lost his life, um, corporate America started speaking out. I got my first email from Peloton. Peloton says, uh, Peloton CEO, um, uh, Black Lives Matter, and, and we do not stand for racism. And so they came out with their anti-racist message. 
and that Black Lives Matter. And then the emails and the corporate messaging started to roll out. And that really became the launch pad of this conversation, the broader conversation around systemic racism, which we're talking about on our show today, right? But I wanted to say, no, let's stop. How do we get here? And let's be clear, this is our lived experience for um, hundreds of years. In fact, um, I remember at the beginning of this, so many of us, Alfred, our response was, we're tired. I don't know if you remember that, but everybody was just like, I'm just tired. When when we saw a police officer's knee on the neck of a black man, first of all, I didn't watch it because I knew how it was going to end. But what I heard was everybody like, we're tired. And when I realized, Alfred, we're tired for our ancestors because yeah. this is not our fight. We are 401 year or 450 years of tired. We are tired for our ancestors. And so that is what brings us into this conversation of looking at systemic racism because there wasn't a problem with the police. There's a problem with policing, right? Yeah. And yeah. more so, right? And more so the system is not broken. The system is working the way that it was designed to work because what many people don't know, policing as a system was technically established to um, catch runaway slaves. And so policing isn't broken. Policing is working the way it was intended to work. And so that is the backdrop for our conversation um, today. So let me pause here and take a breath and gather myself. But do you see it's necessary? You know, no, absolutely yeah, no, it's absolutely necessary. You know, what are you, people may know that you could sell that D and I have a rapport. It's not because we do this show. We've been kind of laboring in the same vineyard in different parts of the vineyard for our careers outside of the show. Um, I'm a longtime executive of Black Enterprise, longtime editor, former editor of the magazine, uh, 33 years in now. And Black Enterprise exists because of the injustice of the economic system. Yep. That again, is not broken. It was built as it was designed. Black people and to, uh, 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 other people too, but black yeah. people weren't designed to be participants in the economic system of this country. We were designed to be the labor and the product That's of right. this country. That's what we were designed. So everything yeah. that we've been able to do since then over the last 250 years has gone against the design of the original system. So, so uh, you're absolutely right. It's not about a, one bad police officer or one bad apple. It's about a system that needs to be re, re, redesigned, rebuilt, re-engineered, because otherwise it's gonna to continue to work just the way it's been working. So- That's right, magic, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, you're right, right. So for this show, we are talking about what makes a system inherently unequal, um, but not as an isolated discussion topic. It's about where we are in this country. And while it is that it was an unfortunate act um, or murder that happened, and not even just one, but so many, it's unfortunate how we got here, but it is, God is still showing himself in this crisis. Yes. Because now, like never before, we are able to have real discussions. And, you know, Alfred, thank you for having me on your show. Like, you know, where we were able to talk about this and talk about, you know, Black people now having the opportunity to talk about this and be Black, right? Versus being multicultural, being um, of color, or being an MWBE or a WB and all of the labels and even a BIPOC, you know. Euphemisms, yeah. Yeah, BIPOC. Now we have a whole new one. We can't keep up. Like we didn't have enough already. But and do, I, right. do we even know who came up with that? Like, I have no idea. I mean, I, when, I, when it started being used, the journalist to me is always like, well, what does that mean? So I get what it's supposed to say. But it's just minority or people of color. It's just another way to say the same thing. But it, it's, it's almost, again, we're trying to get away yeah. from this critical foundational conversation about systemic justice 
built into the existing system and what it takes to change that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so, you know, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I don't know who came up with the BIPOC. Yeah. And I think before we certainly we're going to move from this conversation and go in a little deeper. But, um, you know, I just think always the framing and the context just helps us so much, because if we can't talk about, you know, the genesis of a thing and we can't, you know, really talk about um, how we got here and where we are and what some of some of the things that are happening right now, um, then it doesn't make sense to talk about like structural racism if we're not able to say BIPOC and black and ask questions about what does this mean and what does that mean? So here's what I'll say. And then of course we can move on and go on to break and come back. <laughs> so while I just believe it's well-intentioned and people mean well, people mean well, Alfred, I'm just gonna stay there as a daughter of the King, people mean well, but let's just say BIPOC as an example, that may have worked last year but in 2020, it is extremely important for Black people to be Black and have their space. And I'm always concerned with new right terms and language to describe or to bury or hide or categorize or bucket people um, rather than just allowing people to be people. If I am Cuban American, just can I just be Cuban? Do I have to be Latina? Latina? Um, can I, if I'm Puerto Rican, do I have to be Latina? If I am, you know, um, African American, do I have to be of color? Can I just be black? Um, and so BIPOC is just one of those things. And I, we didn't, we're not here to have a show on BIPOC, but it's just an example of no. Let's let's hold the line here, and let's say in this season right now we're talking about black people. Okay, we're not talking about black indigenous people of color because people of color now it's while we have all um, experienced discrimination in in some way, shape, or form. Um, others are black people are the ones who are being killed. Uh, because we are of color. So again, I, I don't want to get caught up in this. I feel like we're going way down another another path. But we're talking about systemic racism, and it, it's good to just know where we are. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so, so again, we'll be right back. Uh, listening to the be listening to be lifted up radio. We're talking about systemic injustice, systemic racism, systemic unfairness, and what does that mean for us? Where we're talking about faith, finance, and abundant living. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Dee Marshall. And I'm Alfred Edmund Jr. Catch us every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on HUR Voices, Sirius XM Channel 141 for Be Lifted Up. Your guide to living an abundant life. Welcome back. You're listening to Be Lifted Up Radio. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr. and I'm here with my partner in, not crime, partner in God. Let's call it that. That's right. I'm DC Marshall. <laughs> Listen, we're talking about structural inequality. Um, and what we want to do is do a deep dive into some of the primary areas that this inequality exists. So why don't you start them off, D? Yeah, you know, and I first want to just share. Uh, this. There's a lot of conversation around systemic racism. You can learn a lot right now in the public domain just by watching videos and, you know, whether you're on IG. And I think some of the most profound content online, uh, you know, one was, I like to call her the Reverend Dr. Bishop Kimberly Jones. I don't know if you saw that viral video of, you know, in the middle of the protesting, um, just what looked like was a really angry Black woman, which was not an angry Black woman, but the most prolific delivery of a history or history lesson about Black people. Um, and it was so powerful. It, and it was really about people who asked during the protest, why are Black people burning down their neighborhoods? And uh, did you see that? I don't know if you saw no, that. I, didn't, I, didn't see that I, have to, I have to share that with you. Yeah, and, what, and what Professor Kimberly Jones said is she took, um, you know, she took us to school in a history lesson and she talked about how 
for 400 years. So she said, just imagine a Monopoly game and we're playing Monopoly with a group of people. And for 400 years, um, a group of people, let's call them the blue eyed people, got to play Monopoly for 400 years. 400 years, they played 400 rounds. Let's just say, that's what she said. 400 rounds of Monopoly, right? The blue eyed people. And then the brown eyed people come um, to the table, to the Monopoly board, and they can watch. But for another 50 years, they uh, they can just watch. Or I think she said they can they can play, but they can't keep anything. They have to give it to the blue-eyed people. Mm. So she uses this analogy of Monopoly and the game of Monopoly to talk about two groups of people, right? People who were brought here, the brown-eyed people. I'm, this is my language now. I'm going to just say the brown-eyed people um, who were brought here and had to sit and watch. And so she really talks about then um, how it is that the disparity happens. If you have a person at the table who's playing a game for 400 rounds and you're not allowed to play and she frames it and then comes to the point of, um, you know, the reason why the brown eyed people are burning down their neighborhoods because it's not theirs. They don't exactly. own anything. Exactly. You, if you don't have any, you don't have any equity, you have any investment, it's not your neighborhood. And she said, so why do we, we don't, she says, we don't give a, you know what, and all of this could burn to the ground because we don't own anything. And so it was so powerful. And I think it brings us into this conversation about structural and systemic racism, because she really described it very well in terms of 400 rounds of monopoly and why there is inequality in terms of pay and wealth and and income and everything. There's just such a significant disparity because a group of people were able to get a head start and everything that they have was really built off of the backs of, you know, of us and our people. And so that's where we enter this conversation to then get every system from education to housing, to healthcare and to race. So I really wanted to kind of introduce that as one of the most powerful like I said, three-minute history lessons I've ever seen. And so does that make sense? one more layer to that history lesson. Yeah. Um, and I, I talked before, I was part of a documentary called Boss, The Black Experience in Business, um, which talked about the history of Black people and the fact that we are of a great legacy of managing money well, building successful businesses, going back to before slavery. So I want to add another layer to this monopoly game. Not only were we allowed to participate for 400 rounds, every time during the time when we were able to participate and we started building stuff up, they burned our stuff down. That's right. That's so, right. So that was my thinking. I was like, oh, so now that you see looting and whether that looting was, you know, just, you know, obviously we know some of that looting really even wasn't the brown eyed people doing it. But you right. agree right. that you're concerned that old neighborhoods and stories are being burned down. That that outrage was not in existence when Tulsa's Greenwood neighborhood, Black Wall Street, was literally razed to the ground and all the people either killed or run out of town. So, you know, that monopoly thing is another layer to it. We have built, and every time we built, once we were able to play in the game, our stuff was burned down and destroyed and people were murdered and killed. So, so again, you know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very, the context you, you place it in is extremely important. And I, I definitely want you to share that video with me so I can check it out. Yeah. yeah, it is so powerful. And then, you know, before we go through just, uh, you know, we have uh, some key areas where we really want to talk through the systemic racism, but when it comes to, well, you know what? Let me let me start, and then because um, I have another really powerful uh, nugget that I really want to share. But let's first look at you know the institutions that include legal, business practices, uh, government policies, and and look at you know examples of structural inequality. So let's first start with number one will be education, right? So education, where students in low income neighborhoods they tend to receive an inferior education compared to students in wealthier areas. So if education is truly the way to improve economic mobility, the increasing cost of higher education is a barrier 
um, for low-income families. So that's an example of where it starts at education, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, and as we said at the top of the show, these are systems that were built to operate this way. So again, these aren't broken systems. Look at the history of education in America. Look at what Black people had to do to get access to education and then get access to educational resources, including the traditional civil rights movement. And you're talking about a system that was built to operate this way. It's not a broken system that's failing Black and Brown children in Black and Brown communities. So, you know, I mean, I mean, a great point, right? Right, Dee? I mean, that's what yeah, we're talking absolutely. about. System. Absolutely. It's, about absolutely. it's not about bad teachers. It's not about racist principals. It's not about racist school boards. Yes, those individual people and their feelings and their biases are part of it, but it's the larger system that has to be challenged if we want real change. Yep, absolutely. Um, let's talk about housing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that hasn't really changed significantly at all, even with fair housing laws, there's still redlining happening. There are mm-hmm. still neighborhoods where if you have the wrong color skin, a real estate agent won't even let you know the house is being listed, mm-hmm. much less take you on a tour to see it. And mm-hmm. if you've already established with the education conversation, if you control where people live, you can control the access to education and other resources they have access to. So again, when you look at how you can almost tell by zip code, who's going to go to college? Who's going to be more likely to be exposed to the criminal justice system? Who's going to have access to the transportation, public or otherwise, necessary to get to the better jobs? Mm-hmm. That's all in, in housing. And when you talk about um, segregation through zoning, um, you know, green spaces for wealthier areas, while many people in black and, black and brown communities are dealing with environmental racism, living yeah. in unhealthy environments, living near landfills and, and other uh, you know things that's going to bring about negative healthcare outcomes. So this housing thing is, is serious um, with the redlining um, that happened, you know, 1934 to 1962. When you talk about the GI Bill that white people could take advantage of to become home, homeowners, but black people couldn't. Yep. You're talking about structural racism yep. in housing that continues to this day. Yeah, yeah. And just to make it plain for folks, I think it, again, one of the most profound lessons in addition to that example of monopoly in 400 rounds um, is, you know, um, the wealth gap and, and how that happened. And so a lot of people don't know that racism was and uh, really at the hands of government. Literally, there were laws to say Um, And just as an example, in terms of housing and how the suburbs were built. And so how the suburbs were built were, right, when there were no suburbs, developers um, went to the government and went to banks to get them to, uh, to convince them to invest in these subdivisions. And, um, And it was foolish. It was a crazy idea. And eventually the idea was sold, but the government and the banks were in agreement. What the government says is, yes, you can go ahead and build these subdivisions. We think it's insane that people would even want to live in these single family um, subdivisions or or subdivisions in single family homes, but you can go ahead and do it. But here's what um, we will do to subsidize that is um, black families cannot purchase um, these homes, they are not allowed there. And banks, you cannot loan to blacks and whites. Even if you have a black friend and you want your black friend, uh, you want to rent or sell the house, you are not allowed. So technically, if you are my white uh, boyfriend or guy friend from college, let's just say, even though that wouldn't have been it, Alfred, you as a white man could not uh, you couldn't give me a mortgage if you worked at the bank. You, if you own the house, you could not sell the house to me as a black woman. Um, Alfred, if you were a white man, I was a black woman, you couldn't rent your house to me by law. And so it is so important, I think, for us to understand. Now, that's not the half of it. Not only were black people legally not allowed in the subdivisions by law and the mortgage, the banks would not lend. But here's what happened. The subdivisions and the homes were something like $10,000 at the time. It is noted, stated, documented. Black people didn't not move there because they didn't want to or they couldn't afford to. Black people could easily have afforded those homes back then. And so here's what happened. 
white families purchased the homes, 10,000. What happened is they accumulated equity. And with that equity, they had the opportunity to, uh, to provide for health care, send their kids to college, and then accumulate equity, right? So then they've got equity in the home that they were able to then pass down and redistribute uh, to their children. So now that's how wealth was established in this country and where black people were out. And so when you see black people who are not doing well and or who are struggling, it's not to say that it's just their current situations, but we're talking about a system that was created um, for black people. It was set up by law. It was legal. It was legal. And, and so the other thing that happened as a result of that law is tax revenues got sucked out of the city the urban areas where black people were stuck by law, which, what does that mean? No funding for schools, That's no funding right. for education, no That's funding right. for building maintenance, even in the public housing. So people are like, oh, look at how they're living in the hood, like, and making a, a, a character judgment about yeah. who black yeah. people are when they literally suck all the wealth That's that right. might have been in the city to the suburbs put a gate up, literally, you can't come here. Nobody can give you a mortgage, even if you can afford it, no matter what. And then where we're leaving you, we're sucking all the resources out. And yeah. and, and, and then, then we'll let a black mayor get elected. Yeah, yeah. Work with that, work with that, yeah. see what you can do. Yeah, so this is what we mean by, you know, structural racism. So when you hear about um, a black man or Hispanic, uh, man not able to rent an apartment, right? And it looks like it's the landlord. Well, it is, but just know that the system, the structural system of housing and fair housing, it was embedded. It's part of the system, not necessarily just about an individual. And so that's what we're talking about here on the show. This is a show about faith and finances. It's about living an abundant life. And in order for us to live an abundant life, we really have to understand or should understand at a deeper level, particularly in this season, about the system in which we were born into and raised. And in fact, um, listen, there's so much I could say on this topic because I absolutely love it. But you know, black people were brought to this country for our agricultural uh, you know, talents and skills. I mean, when they wanted to build the White House, there was a strategy to, to get uh, labor to build the house, but they weren't able to um, identify labor to build the White House. And so what happened way back when is uh, the white people and white supremacists, they lent, they, they, they on loan, they, they put on loan their slaves to build the house. So when Michelle Obama talks about this, I live in a house built by slaves. That's what she means. And so there's so much that we could say, and we're going to get through this list in terms of structural inequality and for us to really increase our knowledge about where we are today and how we got here. For some of us, you know, I will say this is a release in some way, shape or form where we know we have had family and you know generations of poverty and issues and it's not to say that it's just the structural racism but it's not just what we see on the surface about people who do bad who look like us and people who do good so um well, the people with the people behavior whether you're black or white or otherwise that's a symptom of the systemic the, the system is the cause and then whether it's a, a violent police officer or a black criminal, that's, those are symptoms of the yeah. systemic cause of, the, of systemic injustice. Absolutely, absolutely. <sighs> All right, deep breath in, this is. Deep breath in. Deep breath, <laughs> deep breath out. Uh, yeah. Healthcare. Healthcare. Well, um, I, I don't even know how deep the dive we're going to do on this one. The pandemic <laughs> has exposed. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I, I need we need a deep breath in. And on the other side of the break, mm -hmm. on the other side of the break, we can come back and we can talk about health care. How about that? that? That works for me. That's, that works for me. Listen, you're listening to Be Lifted Up, your guide to an abundant life. This is Alfred Edmund Jr. with D.C. Marshall. We'll be right back. 
It's your guide to living an abundant life. Be lifted up. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr. And I'm DC Marshall. Join our conversation right here on HUR Voices Sirius XM Channel 141. And we are back. You are tuned in to Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. I am DC Marshall, and he is Alfred Edmund Jr. And this is a show about faith and finances. So, you know, we really, uh, you know, like to have healthy and robust conversations about living the abundant life. Uh, there's a word in John 10, 10, the B clause. It says, I've come that they may ha uh, have life and have it to the full. Let me say that again. The word says, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And, and we thank God for the earmark. We thank God that he created us and he thought enough of us um, to, um, I'm going to say, download an intention for us to live well and to be better ambassadors and great ambassadors uh, of him and his kingdom. And so we're talking about structural inequality on, on this show. And that's part of living an abundant life. It's, it's about being um, Alfred, isn't it about being abundant and rich and overflowing in knowledge and history and insight and not just surface things, but living um, life to the full? Uh, this is really, I think, a season for us to increase that by way of historical um, insight and les lessons and even reckoning. Like, like, this is a wonderful time for us to be on the right side of history in terms of course correcting, you know, so much. So what, what say you, my friend? Well, I, I say, I mean, this, this has kind of driven me as a, as a person practically since I was a teenager, maybe even a preteen, this idea that, yes, there is injustice in the world, and that's why God created me, that that's why he made me the way I am, that I am here to be a blessing and a solution. And when we, when we think of all the things that, that we struggle for and we fight for, particularly as black people, justice, fairness, yeah. truth, equality, um, provision, yes. you know, all those things are godly things. And so, you know, it, we were talking about structural inequality in the context of faith. And I always say, well, that's why you're here. God, everything God creates is meant to make things better, to be a solution, to be an answer to evil, to be an answer to injustice, to be an answer to unfairness. And so, you know, you can say, oh, why me? And, and, and you know, there's a certain part of our culture as, as, as oppressed people that says, why us? Um, but my answer as a person of faith is, why not me? Um, we are the conscience of this nation, which is, as this current Black Lives Matters movement and everything has happened since the murder of George Floyd has said, we are who moves this nation forward if the nation's ever going to move forward. And I don't, when I say we, I don't mean just black we. I mean people of God who are understanding that we are here to stand for goodness and fairness and justice and truth and love. So, so it's like if I got to be a soldier in the army, at least I'm on the winning side <laughs> fighting the right battle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, listen, I feel like we... You know, we talked a little bit about, well, not a little, but we talked a lot about structural uh, racism and systemic, right? Systemic yeah. racism. Um, and so so perhaps we should move on and talk about some other systems, right? And yeah. and so while education and housing is significant, um, healthcare is, is significant. And so um, health and income inequality, uh, uh, I think is known to fit like hand in, in a glove. And only America, which, you know, I don't know if we are aware of this, but only America has a healthcare system that relies on private health insurance, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, right, substandard or no health insurance results in what? Higher death rates, particularly for our communities, um, decimated savings, uh, home foreclosures and bankruptcies. And so that's what systemic racism looks like as it pertains to healthcare. Um, and, and I think the number one cause of bankruptcies is medical bills. Yep. 
have one serious hospitalization yep. without adequate insurance, with no insurance at all, is enough to throw a good, solid working class family into bankruptcy. You know, right. so people, again, people want to make it almost like a value judgment. Oh, you overspent or you shouldn't be shopping too much or you should be wearing those Air Jordans or whatever. But that's not what causes people to have, um, you know, uh, economic disaster. It is yeah. these healthcare disparities. Yeah. And the cost of, of health of healthcare over the cost over time falls more heavily on the people with the lowest incomes and the, the least amount of access. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Which I think is, um, you know, points to what happened a couple of years ago with the affordable care, um, you know, affordable care and what the intention was about, you know, people shouldn't um, go broke, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, sickness and, and illness and disease. So it's just it's just so unfortunate. Um, and then the next one, uh, you want to take the next one in terms of another system of, um, you know, uh, uh, structural inequality. Well, st structural inequality, particularly for black people, is about race. Yeah. It's, it's about a system. And when we say race, we don't just mean the color or the depth of color of your skin. It's not that simple. It's about a system um, that had 400 years of literally teaching, both legally and academically, that black people weren't really people, that we weren't human. Yep. So therefore, mistreating and being unjust to us wasn't really an act of inhumanity because what all oppressors do is they try to dehumanize the victim so that you don't have to feel bad about the unfairness yeah. and mistreatment. And so one of the unique aspects of slavery in Western civilization, I say the Americas, to some degree the Caribbean, is this idea that was, by the way, built into the Constitution, the three-fifths of a man. And this goes back to your point earlier, um, the about this being a legal systemic thing, not just I don't like brown people thing. That's right. The That's right. compromise was the South did not want the the uh, or the, the North did not want all of the slaves of the South to count toward their congressional representation, because mm -hmm. congressional representation, how many people you have um, in, in Congress, is based on the population of your state, and the North was like. No, you can't count all of those people because they can't vote. They're not citizens. They're not really human. So they're not citizens, so you can't count them. The South wanted to count them because obviously if they can count the population of everybody in their states, including the slaves, then they would have greater congressional representation. Yep. So the compromise was you only get credit for three-fifths of a person for every Black person that you have in your state. And that's where the three-fifths of it, you know, man for black people came from but it also conveniently fed into this idea that they're not equal to us anyway they're not really you know they're, they're a couple of steps above animals but they're not really human and once you de dehumanize a person and this is not just by race once you dehumanize a person it becomes much easier for you to justify abuse mistreatment injustice and unfairness and so we talk about the, the problem of race or the challenge of race in america what could make a, a police officer put his knee on the neck of a man for eight last eight minutes or 46 seconds of his life is one thing, but it's the system that not only allows it, but defends it mm -hmm. over and over. Mm -hmm. I mean, Breonna Taylor was sleeping in her own bed, <laughs> minding her own business. And we still haven't gotten to the point where we can say that is wrong, that she would be killed you know, by police breaking into the quote unquote wrong house. But the fact that we struggle with that goes back to race and the dehumanization of black people in a way that can justify the system of white supremacist thinking, white supremacist ideology. You can be cruel to people once you decide they're not really people. They're not really human. Um, the justification for cruelty of people all around the world. First, you have to dehumanize them before you can do what you want to do and still be able to sleep at night Still yeah. able, able to worship. Yeah. The slaveholders were mm -hmm. churchgoers. Slaveholders used the Bible to, to say, no, this is good. This is right. I am yeah. helping these people. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's, it's very insidious, um, this conversation around race and the roots of it and the system that was created. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, you know looking at stru uh, structural inequality, um, 
one of the things that we were robbed is, um, you know, history in uh, public education. So just not understanding how it is that we were brought here and understanding the transatlantic uh, slave trade and how it is that cultural trauma still exists today, yeah. um, right? It's embedded in, in us. So um, it it's just runs so deep. Now, although uh, this is a show about faith and finance, and so we always find hope and encouragement in our Lord and our Savior, but this is really, I think, a rich understanding and insight for us to know, um, you know, um, just where we are, where we are in 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 life and where we are in this country and where we stand. And so then, uh, you know, we move from race to gender. So we look at gender and structural inequalities there. And I think for gender, um, just thinking about women and the fact that women still aspire to achieve leadership roles or more leadership roles and, and just all of the challenges in the workplace. And so I'm going to go to one specific thing, right? And we don't even have to have a conversation beyond this. It's just about pay, uh, you know, inequality, the pay gap, the yeah. fact you know, uh, black women earn, um, I think the current numbers is 62%, uh, or I'm sorry, 62 cents um, for every dollar that a white male earns. And in fact, this is what it would look like. So for a black woman to earn the same as a white man, um, we would have to work uh, through August. These are the latest reports, right? Like through August of 2020, in order for us to make the same as a white male. Let me say that. Let me let me clarify what that means. If we as black women earn 62 cents to every $1 that a white man earns, we would have to work 1 year and 8 months. So what is that? Uh 8 12 20 months yeah. to make 20 months to their one year to earn the same amount as a white male. In other words, all you need to know is that there is inequality in terms of pay as one structural, uh, you know, systemic issue that existed, right? Or, or exists even today, um, just about how it is that, uh, you know, how could we catch up? And there's no wonder that, you know, there's a statistic that says, a white single woman between the ages of 36, I think, and like 45 or no, 39 and 45 or something like that. She earns, uh, she has a net worth of $36,000. And then black women, uh, black single women, uh, you know, between I think the age of maybe 36, um, my numbers are probably off 36 and 45. Um, she has a net worth of the range is anywhere between $5 and $100. So you see the, the gap there. But if you also look at the pay gap, right? Um, if you also look at, you know, when we talked about housing and how wealth was created in this country. And so that is why those are systems, right? So even though we could look at some real, to your point, um, Alfred, some behavioral things of where maybe a black woman, she shops a lot. She buys a lot of lipstick and funky glasses and big hair. But, and that may be true. <laughs> that may be true. Maybe. But, it may be, but, but, but we have to move from judgment and really look at people from a social cultural lens. And if you look at people from a social, uh, a social cultural lens, then you're looking at them, not just at the surface, but you're looking at the social context, historical context, and there you have a fuller picture. So well, I um, want to overlay something else you said about the compounding effect of these systems. Yeah. So you, you, you talked about the, the inequity in pay. Yeah. And you overlaid that housing. Yep. And I'm going to overlay health. So if as a black woman, your life expectancy is going to be shorter. And if you're a black man, either short, even shorter, but let's stay with the black woman. And not only will it be shorter, but the latter years are going to be more costly because you have less insurance and more of a dependence on prescription medicine and other issues because of the disparity you live with all your life. And you add on top of that, your earning years are going to be cut short. And you add on top of that, you need eight months to every year that a white man has to even stay even with him. 
it's all systemic. It's not a function of your funky glasses and your red lipstick and your big hair. And and you're a person who's committed to your health, uh, you know. But e but even beyond that, you talk about food deserts. You you know because health is also nutrition. And yeah. you, look, you look about the food deserts that are in black and brown communities that make it harder to get, actually get the kind of food that might extend your life in your early years. So mm -hmm. there's a compounding effect. And I really do want to speak as people of faith. Yeah. We have to resist the, 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 in, the human instinct to judge. Yes. To judge, to say, well, if you didn't eat that, and I'm a, I'm a fitness person, I had to learn this the hard, not the hard way, I had to learn this experience. When I was young, I was like, well, if you just worked out like I did, and if yeah. you just ate what I do, and yeah. now I've learned over the years, it's not as simple as if you worked out like I did, you ate the way right. I did. And if you approach it from a judgmental, you can't heal and minister to people in judgment. Yeah. You can't work in a hospital and not get your hands dirty. You can't lift people out of oppression and stay as drip, you know, as pure and and perfect. Mm -hmm. And 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 so a lot of times we really do, and and, and this show is a perfect time to have this conversation, to step out of the judgment mode. Mm -hmm. to step out of, well, you shouldn't wear your hair like that, and you came out of that hood and you, yeah. and get into service and ministry mode so that the people can be healed and brought through. Yeah, yeah. This is so good. And so on the other side of the break, we're going we're gonna to chat about it a little bit more. Uh, I am D.C. Marshall, and he is... Alfred Edmund Jr. We'll be right back listening to Be Lifted Up, Your Guide to Living an Abundant Life. I'm D.C. And I'm Alfred Edwin Jr. Join us and have a conversation on how do you live an abundant life. It's Be Lifted Up every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time right here on HUR Voices, Sirius XM Channel 141. It's Be Lifted Up and we are back. So, Alfred, you were talking about, um, you know, I asked the question, you know, what do we do about this? And you, you were talking about God and you went, you went there. So, so what do we do? And, and, and what's your thoughts um, about how do we respond and take all of this in? Yeah. I mean, if the question becomes, why would God quote unquote, put us in an unfair and unequal situation? You know, you know, that, that's what our faith does get challenged, especially um, we as black people, but it's not a coincidence that we as black people, often are most deeply rooted in our faith, that, mm -hmm. that God has brought us through and we have come a mighty long way. Yeah. And that is our evidence. That is what we fall back on personally and culturally to say, look at what we've been through. I, you know, I tell people all the time, all I gotta do to, to be encouraged is to look through what you said earlier, Dee, what my mom went through, what my father went through, what his yeah. father went through, what his father went through. And the mere fact that we have the jobs that we have, Yep. That we're having this conversation, that we work for companies, you know, uh, you know, my case, Black Enterprise, Miles Ahead Entertainment, you name it. Yeah. These are the dreams and the, and the fantasies of yeah. one or two generations ago. And so no matter what adversity I'm facing today, all I got to do is look back and say, look what God has brought us through. And that gives me courage to understand, listen, there's a reason why we're here. That God didn't just abandon us or, or, you know, or drop us off into a bad situation. He brought us here to make a difference. If every human being on earth is here to make a difference. But we as black people, as black women, as a black man in our particular situations, have a very particular assignment that moves toward truth and justice and fairness and love. You know what the saying goes? Uh, we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. So even now, so I'm looking right, as you mentioned, you know, we have these wonderful opportunities. You were just going through um, the list of, of the experiences that we have, because we are well compared to our ancestors or compared to, you know, our parents' generation, our grandparents. We are all surpassing, as we should. Each generation should surpass the previous. Um, and so the saying is, yes, we are our ancestors' wildest dreams in terms of what we uh where we are and what we've been able to accomplish um and not even so much that you know what we've been able to accomplish i think as a 
as a people collectively, but individually. I feel like our generation before, uh, you know, the, uh, having a black president, I always wondered, like, what is our generation's um, story? I mean, we, we're, you know, civil rights, grace, they, they marched. But before Barack Obama, before the rioting and protesting and BLM and now really advocating for change, I really wondered, what do we have? And what I know that we had is personal accomplishment. We had personal achievement in terms of we, we went to college, we got great jobs, we bought homes where our parents, you know, some were able to do that. But some, I just feel like our generation, we had a lot of personal accomplishments up until you know recent years we now do have a collective movement like we, we are the first multi-million dollar and multi-billion dollar black owned businesses and talk about wildest dreams of our ancestors yeah and and now those people the robert smiths the oprah winfrey's even the bob johnson's are major financial forces behind the current movement for justice today yeah so, yeah, you know, yeah again you know, I, I was reminded by um, uh, uh, actually a peer of the late Mr. Graves that what we see, as horrible as it was to see George Floyd die the way he did, that not, not a generation ago, thousands of people died like that and it never saw the light of day. Mm. And if it did see the light of day, nothing was going to happen. That right. those murders were committed with impunity, that many Klansmen were also police officers and they could kill people with impunity. So as unfair as it is that we're not sure that we're still fighting just to get, you know, cops to be held accountable for murdering citizens, mm -hmm. still much further along than what my mother had a right to expect or, 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 her, or her father had a right to expect in yeah. terms of even being able to call it what it is and have the news media cover it and say, look at this video of what happened to this. So it's not that we're in a good place, but we're in a better place. And why are we in a better place? Faith. Faith that if we stood for what was right, if we stood for what was godly, justice, truth, love is godly. Mm. I don't care about your denomination. I don't care about whether you're Baptist or Catholic, whatever. Those are godly things. Mm -hmm. And if we're standing for what is godly, then it is a blessing to be persecuted. Mm -hmm. um, not that we're seeking persecution, but if you're going to be persecuted, these are the reasons why you do it. And you trust the word that says you will be blessed far more abundantly. You will get far more for it than you will lose in this period of persecution. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what Dr. King was talking about. He was like, I, I, I've been to the mountain up top. I, I mean, I get there with you, but I'm going to get there. Yeah. That's the kind of faith that moves the world. That's the kind of faith that heals the world. Yeah. And that's the kind of faith that we're seeing with the Black Lives Matters movement today. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's what gives me, it gives me hope. Yeah. But more importantly, it gives me courage. Mm. And, and courage is what we need to move things forward. But it's yeah. courage not rooted in my own strength. It's courage rooted in the God that we serve. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Oh, that's good. So we're talking on this show, uh, if you just tuned in, we're talking about what makes a system in inherently unequal. So we're talking about systemic uh, racism and really about we're at, um, you know, such an interesting time in history that we've never seen. This is a pivotal moment, in fact. Yeah. Um, you know, I will say I am very excited about our future. I'm excited about our future because of what's happening right now. And as a result of um, the tipping point for, for black people that there enough is enough. In fact, and I'm really proud of young people. I am, yeah. I, I'm, I'm so grateful for young people for the boots on the ground. Um, you know, uh, I just think they're so powerful. Like, you know, I wish I was that person at 20 that I had the wherewithal to be so aware and so woke. Because let me tell you something, young people, young black people, baby. In fact, not even young, just young black people. Baby, the young white people are woke. Baby, yeah. they, let me tell you something. The allies are on, full force. 
I mean, there, I am so proud even about that. I'm proud about people across the pond who yes. are marching on behalf of black people to dismantle systemic racism. I, I am just- And I'm, calling it what it is. Again, calling it systemic racism, calling call it, it systemic injustice. Even though a short-sighted white person could say, dismantling this system would be to my disadvantage but standing for what is right and what is good for humanity is worth that potential sacrifice. So yeah. you're right, it's, 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 and, and, and you're right. This is not a movement just about black people. This is a movement about God's people and what God wants for his people. And when it's about what God wants, it's no longer limited to oh, only black people are gonna step up. Yeah, There's yeah. people who are willing to step up for what's good and right and godly are going to step up. And that's all over the world, all cultures, all backgrounds. And and and, and I, too, am extremely encouraged. You know, I've told you stories about conversations I've had with my children who are all in that late 20s, early 30s range. And it's not even just the boots on the ground. It's the conversations and the strategies and, and, and the uh, tactics that that they're having in their minds about this is no longer acceptable. We're talking about a culture shift and a yeah. culture change that's going to make a difference for future generations, even if we don't see it all in our own lifetimes. That's the other thing I stress to people. Moses didn't get to see it all in his quote-unquote lifetime. Yeah. Dr. King didn't get to see it all in all his lifetime. And I think sometimes we do get a little upset and impatient with this idea of what we, you know, what should happen before we transition to glory. Yeah. But my thing is, my faith is that it's going to happen. And whether it happens, you know, while I'm on, you know, on this earth is neither here nor there when we're talking about eternity and eternal life and mm. abundant life in, in its truest form. Mm. Yeah. You got me excited. You know, it's not hard to do. I know. I know. But, but I really want this is a period of hope, even in the face of adversity. And that's, you know, this was a heavy show, it's a heavy conversation. Um, but it's a glorious battle. Yeah, it's a it's a glorious battle, and mm -hmm. and we're called to it. And that's 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 an honor. It's 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 David against Goliath. Yeah. Um, and, and only good can come of it if we step up in faith, and 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 take that chance and overcome that fear and say, listen, we're standing up for what is right, whether we're black, white, young, old, um, whoever is in the sound of the voice of this show, or or you know catches the video, uh, catches our socialization of this conversation. Yeah. It, it, it's ultimately about standing against the inequality. I mean, I think I saw you share on Instagram. It's not black people versus white people. It's black people against racism. I mean, it's, it's everybody against racism. Yeah. And, and, and that means it's everybody against injustice. And when you frame it that way, it's, it's a godly, it's a godly uh, mission. Yeah. 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 All right, this is powerful. So I think on the other side of the break, we'll come back and talk about action, right? If, listen, if we're talking about systemic racism, we need to talk about them, what do we do next? So I am DC Marshall and he is? Alfred Edmund Jr. And this is Be Lifted Up, Your Guide to Living an Abundant Life. Hi, I'm Dee Marshall. And I'm Alfred Edmund Jr. Catch us every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on HUR Voices, Sirius XM Channel 141 for Be Lifted Up. Your guide to living an abundant life. Welcome back. You're listening to Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. And we've been talking about structural inequality, structural racism, um, our role as people of faith in bringing justice and love and truth um, to the equation to make things better, to make things right. Um, and we want, we want to leave you with is some definite things that you can and should be doing to move the needle, um, to change, reform, fix uh, structural inequality, um, even today, even now. So let's start with the top. You definitely need to exercise your vote. And I'm going to give you three important resources that can help you to do that. Um, you want to go to When We All Vote. That's a movement um, of former First Lady Michelle Obama. Um, very, very powerful movement. Uh, you want to check out Black Votes Matter, which is another platform to really help people get themselves organized and really exercise their right to vote. 
and hopefully help you to organize other people to do the same, your friends, your neighbors, your family members, you know, others in your community and in your church. Um, finally, text the word VOTE, V-O-T-E, to 30330. That's 30330. Text the word VOTE to that number. And wherever you are, you will get a game plan for your state to be able to know what your options are, mail-in voting, absentee voting, um, ballot drop-offs, or in-person voting. You'll be able to plan your voting strategy. And that's going to be really important this year because of the pandemic and so many other sources that's going to make voting maybe a little bit more challenging um, than it has been in past elections. But it's even more important that you do so. So text VOTE to 30330. Dee? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I mean, I have a few additional resources. If you are a faith leader or you are a pastor, um, you can visit turnoutsunday.com. So that's a resource that's specifically um, for pastors, and it's led by Dr. Barbara Skinner-Williams, who is the um, convener of the National Clergy. So that would be an awesome resource. In addition, if you just really want to find out if you are registered to vote because you're not sure, you can go to headcount.org, headcount.org, just how it sounds, um, to locate your voting precinct. Because again, this is going to shift. Not all states are universal uh, vote by mail. So if you are hearing confusing language about are we voting live and in person on November 3rd, not really. Not That's not a one um, you know, consistent one size fits all. Uh, it really depends on on state. And so, um, but I think for the most part, it's been advised that you request a mail-in ballot or an absentee or whatever. You have literally you have to uh, look at your state and what the requirements are um, for your state. So that's why you hear people who are vague. And so if you're not hearing like a date when you need to request this or a date when you need to do this and you, you only have November 3rd, it's because it's not universal. Um, but you can go to vote.org. And so that would help you to locate your voting precinct. If in fact, you're going to vote live and in person, if you can, um, Let's see, voting tools, you can look at voterparticipation.org. Now, I happen to think that Michelle Obama's organization, by the way, I don't know what Alfred was talking about. That's our forever first lady. So whatever he said, no, no, because I'm black and I'm black and I'm a black woman. Did you see my shirt? So you're, you're black and you're black, black, black. For the love of black. So I'm going to say Michelle Obama. Okay. Okay. So, um, no, in, in all honesty, there's tons of resources. In fact, uh, Win With Black Women is a powerful movement of all of the organizations of Black amazing. women. Um, amazing. amazing work, amazing work. And so, I mean, I can't even, actually, I probably could list all of the organizations because I have an email somewhere, but I do believe that, uh, you know, the resources that we've shared, you can find great and useful and appropriate information for you to vote. The bottom line is you have to vote on um, no, November 3rd and um, you have to vote. You have our, our ancestors, they died um, to uh, so that we would have the right to do this. In fact, we have lost a civil rights. Uh, great. In fact, we've lost several of them during this pandemic. And uh, you know, the, the, uh, you know, John Lewis and, uh, C. Vivian, uh, C. Vivian, C. Vivian. yeah, C. Vivian. Um, I was thinking about another one. I'm glad I didn't say that. Ooh, Jesus. <laughs> um, and so, um, so, so just making sure that you vote, because as we talk about structural racism and structural inequality, we connect the dots from our experiences that we're having right now, our lived experiences as Black people and the systems, right, that is, that's in the middle. But on the other side of that are our elected officials. And so making sure that we participate to vote um, with and for people who have something that we can connect to and align to. And then also it's not enough to just vote. We have to get involved. So whether it's supporting campaigns, volunteering for campaigns, 
running for office. At this point, listen, if that dude over there is in the White House, everybody could run for office pretty much. I mean, like pretty much everybody's qualified. Everyone is qualified. The record number of black women who ran for seats this year. Keep it growing. Because um, it's not just about the top of the ticket. And that's the, I, so I love your point about uh, it's more than just voting in November. Yeah, We have to really think about state office, local office, congressional offices, where a lot of the decisions on the ground are being made. I mean, if, if I didn't learn anything else from this pandemic experience, it was that it matters who your mayor is. It matters who the governor is. It yeah. matters who the attorney general is. Yeah. When you talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, it matters who the sheriff is in your town. Yeah. Those and many of those positions, if not all of them, are elected positions. Yeah. So November third, obviously, is critical. We have to get there. Um, that was John Lewis's last words to us: was to say, "You have to do this." Yeah. But beyond that, we have to do this all up and down the ballot. We have to run for office. We have to hold uh, officials accountable. Um, and whenever somebody's trying to give you a reason not to vote, my question is always, if my vote doesn't matter, why are you trying so hard to suppress it? Yeah. Because it does matter. If it didn't matter, nobody cared. So, so it, it, it's critical. You, you, let's, let's make that move. It's not just about November 3rd. It's about turning the corner, passing this baton. Um, and, and like you said, D, you know, what's, what, we have a generation of young people that's ready. Yeah. They're like, we're here. We're on the streets. We're ready to do this. We need to make sure that they're supported and that this translates into policy and to change um, for that generation and beyond. Yeah, yeah. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. And so we are out of time. And that is it for our show um, today. The question was, what makes the system inherently unequal? And I, I hope we've covered that. And I just hope that you know how important it is for us to have these conversations um, here at Be Lifted Up. This is a show about faith and finances and living the abundant life. And you cannot, we cannot live an abundant life if we are um, out in the dark and not involved in the political system that we live in, the political system that makes decisions about our lives every single day. So that is our time. And Can I say one more thing before we wrap up? Of course. I want to drop this scripture because I think it's, it's right on point. Um, it speaks to my point about why we're here. Um, Psalms 103, 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. This work that we're doing, this work we're asking you to do, voting and beyond, is the Lord's work. Mm -hmm. The Lord works righteousness and justice. And to your point, D, he gets things done through people. Yes. His people, us. Yes. So let's do this. God bless yes. you, everybody. It is Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. We'll see you next time. It's Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life.